Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Oh, guys, if you would, let's get into our Bibles. We're going to go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and that's going to be kind of the foundation for our studies for the next um, next few weeks. Because again, as we dig in uh, to your walk with Christ, well, on Sundays we're looking about how to disciple and how to be discipled. And as we're going into 17, and my, my studies into things, uh, I wanted to read these to you. There's some quotes about just how powerful 17 is. This is the, the prayer of Christ on the night that he's arrested. Um, it's a very powerful chapter, especially when you put it into the context of what's been going on within uh, Christ's life after the, the last journey to Jerusalem, the things that we see him go through, the things of the final week of Holy Week, uh, from the triumphant entry to the, the conflict to the teaching. Uh, to this very vulnerable place after the Last Supper where he is having a conversation with his father. And um, Dan had put up some quotes that people have said on John chapter 17 that I wanted to share with you. So it really is a beautiful chapter that we'll be spending time in. Uh, some of these names won't mean anything uh, to you, but um, th- these are some of the quotes. For instance, uh, there is no voice which has ever been heard either in heaven or on earth more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered up by the Son of God himself. Uh, another theologian wrote uh, the farewell prayer of Jesus for his disciples and claims in reading that men are listening to the family conversation of deity. I like the, the way that he sees that. Um, another, 1 John 17, is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible and certainly one of the most treasured. Some refer to it as the holy of holies of sacred scripture. And then uh, scholars and students of the Bible throughout generations have regarded John 17 as one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. And that's where we're going to be at for a while. If, uh, we'll go a couple, another slide up there, Chris, um, with the different sayings that in this particular prayer, Jesus makes several I have statements or things that he has done to disciple and prepare the disciples for his poetry. Uh, and we're going to be going through these over the next several, uh, several weeks. Now that we've laid the foundation about the relational methods that Jesus used as we looked at observational learning that he used, we're going to start going through these different things that Jesus has based himself about and talked to his father about in this incredible, incredible prayer. And so the first one we're going to be focused on, uh, again, chapter 17, is going to be verse 6, that Jesus says, I've revealed you to whom you have given to me. So to get to that and explore that, we're going to go ahead and read Starting out verse 1 to get a little bit of context and then work our way up to that scripture and look at how that scripture plays out or that truth plays out when it comes to the the four different chairs of uh, discipleship and and maturing. And then we'll talk more about Hannah staying out late from prom last week. So the, what, I'm sorry, what? 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 And sass too. I guess we're going to be talking about sass. (laughs) Okay, so quick drink of water, and then we'll dig in. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they know that you are the only true God, and in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then this verse I have. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. So one of the things that he says from a discipleship standpoint is I revealed them you. And every, everything I did, the, the, everything that I was focused on, I am revealing, I am manifesting those, um, that, you to them. And I find it interesting, kind of our parallels, in, in my study and your studies, some of them don't quite match. I'm going to kind of rearrange mine to match up yours better. But this one matched up perfectly because as you're studying the Holy Spirit, as you're leaning in the Holy Spirit, as you're being filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to point you to Jesus. If you look at the Holy Spirit throughout the scripture, he is kind of a pointer to, to him. He, he's guiding people to him. He's given us power to guide people to him. That, that is a big part of his role. And then when you look at Jesus, Jesus is like, hey, let me show you God. Let me show you God. God, God my Father. Again, three in one, but nonetheless, still, his main role was to reveal God to us in his action, through observational learning, through the methods that he used to reach people from a relational standpoint. And so from a come and see standpoint, if someone has not known Jesus as leader and forgiven their life, and they're accepting an invitation either from him or from you, uh, or even if you're just leaning to it as far as come and see and kind of get a feel for what Jesus is about, what, what's going, um, what, what it means to follow him, what it means, uh, what, what your example is in front of, what you're teaching them. It's, the, this truth has to be in place that we're revealing God. We're revealing God. And that's important because a lot of times when you talk to people, they're like, well, I'm just a nice person, and so people see me as a Christian, and that's what all I'm supposed to do is not true. It's not full. We're supposed to be good people, so they have a reason to believe what we say because I can't fully reveal God just by being nice because a lot of people are nice. You know what I mean? So I have to, to bring both into this. And so here he's talking about they know that, that I am of you. Um, you've given them to me. It's from you and uh, that I manifested your name to them. So going a couple more slides, we're going to go to the definition of manifested, or manifest, uh, displayed by one's actions, or would be evidence of. This is what he's saying he was. He's displaying by his actions, by his words, God, and he is giving evidence of being God. Have you ever considered yourself giving evidence of God? The, the, it's impossible to say there's not evidence of God. The evidence coming into the courtroom now, someone might not, not believe it, but there's evidence for God everywhere. Have you ever thought about that you are part of that evidence uh, from, from a God standpoint? Uh, Jesus put it this way in John 1.14. We'll put up on the screen for you. The, the John said, uh, the word became flesh, and it's capital W because he's speaking of Jesus. Jesus as the word. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does grace and truth remind you of? What we talk about here and there? Full of grace and truth. Hmm? 100% love, 100% truth. It's, it's the same thing. If that was how he took and put this out there. Look, uh, let's go to the next definition for dwelling. Dwelling is a tabernacle, make one's presence. Uh, among. So here we have the Word of God coming to make His presence among us, dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit, 
We are his sanctuary. We are the evidence thereof, full of grace and of truth. In other words, that 100% love, 100% truth, that's not just like a slogan that we talk about here or something that we put out on church leadership book. It's how, God, how Jesus revealed God. It's how we are supposed to reveal God. If you go back to John chapter 3, and you don't have to keep your place here, we're going to go to John chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to go through a testimony um, that we had, again, once, a time, once when we were going through Jesus' uh, story, but we're going to look at it from a new scope. And we're just going to really put a lot of things on the table and then bring them together at the end. Uh, but we're going to come across the testimony of Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a, a Jewish rabbi. And so in verse 1, it says, uh, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, or again, amen, amen. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, which is a really cool story if you want to look at it someday, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you look at this from a standpoint, because Nicodemus is a come-and-see guy at this point. He knows all about the Scripture. He's got the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. He knows the law frontwards and backwards. But he's coming and seeing when it comes to Jesus. He's trying to figure this out. You can't be doing the stuff that you do and not be of God. So he's trying to figure that out, right? So as he comes to Jesus, we see Jesus bring a revelation of God through his action and his words to Nicodemus through grace and through truth, through love and through truth. We see him using... Um, the things such, again, as the relational methods that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, observational learning as part of his outreach to Nicodemus within the standpoint. So if you look at it from a truth standpoint, um, look at what Jesus does, which is awesome. Uh, when, when Nicodemus says to him, we know you're of God, you couldn't do the things that you're doing uh, unless you're of God, uh, Jesus doesn't go, oh, that's awesome, I'm so glad you guys are on board. He goes to what? Redirect. He goes to redirect, which we've uh, looked at a couple of weeks ago. He, uh, we know you're of God. And he's like, that's nice. Anyways, you can't be, uh, go to heaven again unless if you're, you're, you're born. You can't go to heaven unless if you're born again. And Nicodemus is like, what in the world are you talking about, dude? It was, a, it was a complete truth redirect they had within it. You also see within this one, as far as those relational methods, um, confrontation. It's not exactly a comfortable moment when... 
this outside rabbi looks at you as in your religious leader following, you know, leading the, all, all Israel and teaching, and he says, seriously, you are the teacher of these guys and you don't get this? Are you stupid? I mean, it's kind of like the feel of it, like, what, what is wrong with you? But, but what, we, what we find with him bringing truth, he's doing it in such a loving way because he knows how rabbis communicate. He knows how Nicodemus thinks. This is the way they communicate with one another. He is purposely putting back on his heels a little bit so that he's wondering, what is he talking about? How can this work? How can this be? He's asking rabbi questions of himself to answer these statements that bring such a chaos into his life. But what is he doing? He's revealing the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that everyone could be saved. So no one shall perish. That's a complete goal between the hard thing. But he, he's bringing in truth as well. We can't do a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. It's, it's got to be both, both. And Jesus is a master, a master at it. And his motivation is he's revealing God. He's revealing the attributes of God. Um, as we go into it a little bit more, um, in John 3.22, we'll put that scripture up for you. It says, after this, so after his time with Nicodemus, Jesus and disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing them. And this is, we're going to kind of pull from this uh, chair two aspect of this, moving from the come and see to I've accepted Jesus as leader and forgiven my life. I've, uh, you're the son of God. I believe you died and rose again. You're God. I'm not. I'm following you, right? Um, we start seeing, as those disciples are moving into that standpoint, a little bit of a different way that he reveals God through that same grace and truth. When we go back to, um, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for a second. But he basically, the main thing that we want to look here is it is very purposeful that he spent time with them. When we look in the scripture, if you count up all the times that Jesus was teaching crowds, you would have to times that by three to come close to how many times scripture mentions him being with a few. He, he was very purposeful on, on being with that follow me, teaching me, moving things uh, forward and being able to experience things. Um, later, if you want to get into it, but again, we covered these uh, early on, still dancing around John 3 area. In John chapter 2, there's a couple of interesting stories back, to, back and forth right before this that shows them spending time with them. And the first one uh, is one that you probably want to be at, and the second one you might want to be at if you're, you're kind of nuts. But the, the first one is uh, the wedding of Cana. You know this one, right? The, the, the wedding... Um, and they, there's, a, there's just a few at this point. You got Peter, uh, James, John, Andrew, um, Bartholomew. Actually, I, I think it's Bartholomew. Yeah, I think some people believe that the wedding is actually Bartholomew's wedding, but that's kind of more theory or whatever. But um, they run out of wine. Jesus turns the water into wine after his mom gets on his back, right? And it's a great celebration. Only a few people know that Jesus was the one that, that turned it. If you, if you read it, it's like the, the guys who was in charge of the water, his disciples, his mom, and him were the only ones that knew that he did this miracle. And it was, just, it was a huge relational um, awesome time. Do you ever wonder from an observational land, learning standpoint, why? Why? What were those disciples supposed to learn from that? Um, what were they supposed to take from that? Uh, right after it, I mean like immediately after it, they go to the temple and the, the, the Jewish people had taken the, the uh, courtyard of the Gentiles, so where the Gentiles were allowed to come and worship God, uh, they had shut that down and turned it into a marketplace. 
so they could, could not worship God. And they were selling uh, things for sacrifices. When you were supposed to be bringing your best, it turned into a, oh, don't worry about dragging your best here. Just come here and throw five bucks down and get a dove and, and do a sacrifice. Not back. There's a lot of reasons this was not a good thing that they were doing. And so Jesus went in and just tore the place apart, right? You remember that? With, with the holy anger and he's throwing tables, he's throwing people out, he's smacking them on the butt. I don't know what all he's doing. He's just, he's going crazy, right? And it's partnered with the wedding of Cana. Now, from an observational learning standpoint, what was that all about? What are they supposed to be learning there? They, both of these are very early with a very small crowd of disciples. Grace and truth. He revealed God through both. And I believe not only are they learning from that standpoint, I believe that they need these stories for later on when things are going hard to remember a wedding with Jesus and how Jesus took care of the provision need when they're going through provision challenges. Or when they're tempted to be working with in the early church where everything was so mucky and so new to fight against that temptation that we even still have today of compromising with the world to get people happy, to get people to hang out. And then they remember Jesus ripping apart the temple saying, you're not going to do that in my father's house. You're not doing that in my father's house. So as we follow him, as we see these things coming to places, there's these experiences that reveal, but also experiences that move us forward. Uh, when we start moving a little bit more into the, the third chair, um, I'm going to put in Matthew 13, 36 up for you, with Chris's help. And this one you remember because we, I remember going through this with you in the uh, parables of Jesus. But after he did the parable of the reeds in the field, it said, um, then he left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the reeds and the, the field. And th this is, again, one of those times where he is pulling back from the crowds and moving more into that time, uh, multiple times that he spends time with them. And really spends... Um, time mentoring them that that's when we're getting into that being a fisher of men standpoint that we're going to see him mentoring more and more more than just being a teacher and mentoring seems to be coming up a lot in this study for us uh, I'm really hoping that that's something that someone's getting the, um, has getting a hold of them and they start wondering why, who is my mentor who am I mentoring that's a big part of discipleship mentoring doesn't happen by accident mentors um, you choose your mentors it is a conscious choice. A lot of times it is either natural, like Bobby Can being uh, one of my, he's been my pastor since I was in my early 20s. It was a very natural relationship. I've had mentors uh, in my life that I saw them further down the row of chairs and I said, I, want, I, I need to learn from him. Or I need to learn from her and purposely set up that relationship and spend time with them. Um, it is a relationship where you lean in with them um, in such a way that you're listening to their stories, what they have learned as they're further down, what their advice would be, and they're not automatically doing it. You're not made to copy somebody else, but to take it in and prayerfully process it to see what applies to you and what doesn't. Uh, again, with Bob, Bob's a big church guy. I'm not a big church guy. So there's a lot of our conversation that works for Bob it doesn't fit our environment. And so, um, so you have to kind of be able to process those things. But you willingly do so. I, I had uh, someone who called me a mentor for a period of time, and I was a mentor for a period of time. 
and then one day they were uh, looking at moving forward in something, and um, I, I'd already kind of expressed my concerns within it, and that doesn't mean he has to do what I think or don't do. Uh, that's just to be considered. And then uh, next time he came to me, he says, well, we're doing this. I said, wait, are you doing this or you're wondering thoughts about doing this? He goes, no, we're doing this. I said, okay, that's all. I'm going to be keeping that in prayer. But that was the day I stopped being his mentor because he didn't look at me from a mentorship standpoint anymore. And that's okay. Those seasons come and go. But it's very much something that we choose and it's something that we lean into or we don't lean into. It's not just looking up to somebody. Um, here, this is what Jesus is doing. He's being a mentor. They have chosen to follow him. He is speaking into their lives. Obviously, it has a little bit more weight <laughs> than mo most mentors. And as they're being mentored, then it's their job to be able to go out and point people back to Jesus to point them to God as well. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I'm going to cheat. <laughs> this is a point I want to make sure I don't want miss, and I think I skipped it, but maybe not. We'll see. I'll come back to it if we need it. Let's go to Matthew 17. Like I said, just put the law on the table, and then we're going to bring it together. In Matthew 17, let's see, is it there? I don't know. Okay. So in Matthew 17, we're going to be moving a little bit more to the chair four. This is more bare fruit. This is more mature uh, mentorship or more mature revealing, um, where we start to see the kingdom of God living and experience the kingdom of God living more and more. Uh, in Matthew 17, we see the transfiguration, which is, uh, I'm going to read it if you haven't been through it, uh, so you can kind of know it, but it's really a kingdom of God thing that we could spend like a weekend talking about. There's a lot to it. Um, but now we're just going to stay on a very face value to pull out the, the lesson points that we have, but uh, that might be an interesting thing for your studies. But uh, in this case, it says, after six days, Jesus took with him, and pay attention, he took. He took Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And that goes back to the Festival of Booths. If you're here with uh, Ravi uh, Zacharias, which was about a year and a half ago, we went through the Festival of Booths. Um, but it's basically worship. It's a way of worship. If, if you want, we, we can make these three tents for you. He was still speaking, says verse 5, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Um, why a smaller group? Why not all the disciples at this? Again, biblical imagination time. Educated biblical imagination. This is something specifically for these three. I, I would Sometimes I, I wonder if Andrew feels like he got the boot because Andrew is the one that kind of brought Jesus to the other ones. But he doesn't seem to be in that top three. And I don't know if it's because of their leadership roles as time goes on. I don't know if it's because they're, full, they're down the chairs. Then other people, again, how long we've been with Jesus does not determine how far we are down the road with the chairs. Um, if it was they had specific things that they were going to go through, again, like the, the situation with the wedding and like the situation with, with the temple, maybe this is a, something they have to hold on to during the, the toughest of times. I mean, Peter was martyred 
for Jesus Christ, crucified upside down? Does he need this moment to hold on to at times in the future? Is it, uh, you know, because of John, he died of old age, the only one not to die a martyr's death on the island of Patmos, a prisoner's island. Um, Revelation, when he was there, we see Revelation was there, that he needed to be able to get through those things. I, I don't know. James didn't get to the end of Acts. James was martyred very early. Um, but did he need that for that situation? We don't fully know, but there's a reason why these three are having this more mature experience of the revelation of God, whether it's spirit and truth. And they get to see Jesus in his fullness. Again, this is, this defi- this is his divine self. This is not the, the, the earthly self of Jesus. Uh, they get to see Moses and Elijah chatting with Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever seen a picture depicting this. They always look like saints in a Catholic church, Russian Orthodox, something or other. I think they were like laugh, laughing and hugging and catching up. I, I, I mean, these, these are three buddies who are, 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 um, are being able to spend time together. I think it's really, really awesome. They haven't seen Jesus in the heavenly realm for a little while. Um, and then Peter cracks me up. Do you ever have a friend who speaks too quick? Peter is like that guy. Um, and he sees this, and that, that's overwhelming. I, I get it. That's overwhelming. He's immediately like, hey, should we memorialize this? And God's like, I'm, I haven't even stepped in yet. It's like, shut up, Peter. And then here comes the cloud, right? And then comes the, the presence of God. That's what that represents, as we see through the Old Testament and the New. The presence of God shows up. Um, and God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Where have we heard that before? Anybody? His baptism. And then adds one more thing. Do you see what he adds that there was not the baptism? Listen to him. Listen to him. He's revealing me. Listen to him. And so Peter spoke a little early, but his heart is in the right place. So everything points back to the Father. This is a big part of who Jesus was, and it's a big part of who we are. Through 100% love, 100% truth. Um, I just started making some notes like, okay, what did that look like for Peter? Right. So we got to come and see Peter when Andrew first brings Jesus' way, I found the Messiah, and Andrew, you're nuts, you've, been, you've always been the black sheep of the family, we don't like you, you're adopted, right? And then he experiences Jesus, he gets to follow me, he gets personal time with him, and th- this is what I want to talk about, I know, there's, this is definition, I, I like this definition. Did I skip a definition, Chris? Can you put it up for me on spending time? Yeah, spending time with, when we were looking back at... Um, John 3.22, spending time with, when you look at the Greek word used there, it's defined as getting under the skin of, rub between, and go deeper with. And I really like that definition. Peter has come to Jesus. His first reaction is get away from me because I'm a sinner. I can't even handle you, man. But he starts following me, spending time with him. He's in that intimate moment. He's getting under the skin of, Jesus getting under the skin of him. There's a rub that's going on. There's a deeper going on there that we see Peter go through, which is one of the beauty of his mistakes. Uh, it's because he is just so glorious when it comes to his mistakes. Um, Fisher of men, you get, he, he's now become deeper personal. He's mentoring under Jesus. Um, he bears fruit under Jesus um, with, with Jesus revealing, and then he's getting to reveal. And if you ever thought about it, and maybe some of you guys are our chosen people, um, not like you're the chosen people of Selfish Fellowship, but like the TV show The Chosen, uh, before everybody gets a big ego on that one. Um, it, I, have you ever gotten to a point where you're just kind of like, man, I wish I was there? You know, like, I wish I was Peter. I wish 
just going through the scenes and stuff. I, I know I have a long name. I've got a, a pastor by right now named Jeff over Mount Vernon Avenue Church of Christ. He's in Israel right now. I can't stand the guy for it. I'm so freaking jealous that he's over there sending these pictures back and I'm not there. Uh, just would love to be able to have the opportunity to be Peter. And then the reality is we are. When I was going to church camp all those years, I remember for a long time, yeah, I just loved church camp because you're away from everything else and you're on this mountaintop experience and all the problems of the world are behind you and, and everything's just awesome and you just hated going home. And I remember I probably, probably was in my high school years when one year it just hit me, the God of Judson Hills is the same God that is at home. The Jesus that was with Peter is the same Jesus who's with me today. The whole reason we're talking about discipleship is because he's desiring more of that with you. More so than you're desiring wishing that you were face to face. The promise we hold on to is blessed are those who believe and did not have to see my face, Thomas. You and I have that blessing on top of being able to have this relationship with him and be able to continue the cycle that he put into place to reach the world that he loves so much. Luke nine fifty one. he set his face upon Jerusalem and he started his final journey. You remember that? Luke 10, he sends them out two by two to go into the, the, the towns before him to prepare the towns. And when they come back, they are celebrating, they are joyous, they are going on and on about how the demons had to take and listen to them because of their authority, how the illness of people who were sick and inflicted was gone and they had total freedom how people were receiving the word of Jesus Christ and were looking forward to his coming and I have to think as all those people were coming back to Jesus two by two by two by two that's probably the first time that he watched them coming in full joy and saying this is going to work this is what it was supposed to be this is what we're setting and he's still looking for that today for us to reveal God, 100% love, 100% truth to the people that are around us. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion, Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.